Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, and thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we explore some timely trends in the broader education market and industry. As we get through today's conversation, make sure that you're heading to our website, raptortech.com. Again, raptortech.com. For more information on our solutions and services, and of course, to find some more Raptor Technologies content, including episodes of the podcast, you can also find episodes of School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So without further ado, let's get into today's content. On today's episode, what we're doing is digging deep on safety challenges for schools as they prepare to reopen for the fall 2021 semester. The COVID reality is basically over for most schools across the U.S. with hybridized learning persisting in some localities, but for the most part, in-person schooling returning in mass. So what does this mean for school facility managers and administrators as they reevaluate the scope of school security preparedness, new vulnerabilities, and implementations that are not only cost-effective, but also just regular effective, right? So here to discuss how school safety has changed over the last year, year and a half, and how to better strategize for this new landscape in a way that keeps both educators and students in mind, we're joined for insights today by Paul Tim. He's Vice President of Facility Engineering Associates at Raptor Tech. He's also an experienced school crisis assistance team volunteer through the National Organization for Victims Assistance and one of the most influential people in security in 2020, named by Security Magazine. Paul Tim, how you doing? Great to have you on. I'm glad to be here, Daniel. Doing well. Thank you. You've got a thick resume there. It's always fun getting to tee people up there with their accomplishments, but uh, these really tie into what we're going to be chatting about today. I'm curious, just, you know, I'm sure our audience is wondering a little bit, what exactly is being within the school crisis assistance team like, and uh, how has that informed the perspective that you're bringing to the conversation today? Thank you for asking. First of all, I would say that there's a little bit of stress to it because we come into schools after there's been a significant incident and help in the initial stages of recovery. And while we don't offer psychotherapy, we do offer uh, prediction and preparation. We, we give them an opportunity to to uh, to vent and we um, validate uh, the the uh, feelings and experience that, they, that they've had. And then, as I mentioned, it's it sets a stage for recovery, not just for the individuals that have been involved directly, but for the larger school community as well. Yeah. And as we're going to explore today, the social emotional component of preparing students for Fall 2021 is going to be critical. Uh, I mean, obviously, this last year has been tumultuous and varying degrees of traumatic for different students in different setups. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be breaking that down and what that means and how this all ties into school security. So let's go ahead and jump in there. Uh, I want to intersect 
the health measures specifically with this larger ecosystem of security. Uh, can you start by breaking down some of the health measures implemented during the pandemic that you see is actually benefiting the broader security ecosystem? What are some measures that you see as positives for the long term? Break that down for us. Sure. Uh, wayfinding is one of the largest. And, uh, you know, most people just think of that as directional signage. But uh, wayfinding helps us know once we enter the property where we should be going. And we all do better when there's some kind of access control. I do better when I know where to park and then uh, the path to to head toward the main entry, I, I should always be entering through that approved main entry that's monitored where I, I'll be authorized. And in, then even my path, Daniel, through the facility should have some control aspects to it. And by the way, I, I, whenever we say the word control, people get nervous because no one wants to be controlled. But in an environment where we're just not certain what all the parameters are, to have those kinds of designs in place uh, work to our benefit for sure. So that's that's one of them. Uh, wayfinding has, has been improved. Uh, another one is electronic access control. Uh, there were some schools pre-pandemic that were giving staff 24-7 access through their card to get into the facility and and through any door they wanted. And if you can imagine, that, that left people in the building sometimes at 2 in the morning when no one would even be there to help them. But when we went through the closure of facilities and retrieval of belongings, we said, you have to schedule to come in a certain door during a certain time. And while we're not going to be doing that much restriction, we have said, OK, for the for the regular teacher, you're going to be able to come in between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. You, you can't come in during weekends and we want you to come in these these doors that we've selected. And it, it makes it all a lot uh, more orderly and it makes the accountability a whole lot better. And then finally, one more thing I wanted to say is um, with uh, anything contact tracing, because that's the natural follow through here. Uh, we we had to know, uh, for example, if a custodian came into the building and later tested positive for COVID, we needed to know where that person was so we could sanitize. And we were able to do that maybe through visitor management systems, through video surveillance. All of those things are now in place so that if there is some kind of incident or some kind of need for better monitoring, Daniel, we're going to be able to do contact tracing for very practical purposes, not just health reasons. Thanks for that breakdown. I mean, it sounds like there are a lot of silver linings there. I'm curious what you see as the opposite, right? Which uh, health and safety measures have created a lot of uh, stressors for facilities managers and administrators in the school setting? And uh, which of those do you see creating some long-term challenges for adjustment in the school system? Yeah, well, first of all, there were any number of products and systems that were sold or marketed that really didn't have a lot of value. And I want to be careful because some of these systems have value in the right application. But uh, thermal imaging, for example, was one where pe people were told if we just put these up, we're going to be able to detect the person who has the fever in a crowd. And it's just simply not true. Uh, the FDA says you've got to be 15 minutes in the facility uh, before your skin temperature accur accurately measures your body temperature. And we can only measure one person at a time accurately. And so I think some of those myths um, 
you know, people were looking for magic wands and then now we have buyer's remorse for some of those things. And I want to I want to qualify that again, Daniel. I'm not saying that that people who got thermal imaging have buyer's remorse, but some wrong applications have have brought buyer's remorse. Uh, second of all, you and I, you know, we've been used to walking into a facility and kind of leaning forward while somebody checks our temperature with a little handheld thermometer or or maybe there's a kiosk where we've gone, you know, we've gone close to it. And I had a security director tell me months ago, uh, I, I said, Is, has anyone even tested 98.6 leaning into this? And he said, no, but I know that it works because I waved my cup of coffee in front of it one day and then it was over 98.6. And uh, so there's a lot of those things that people don't trust. People people looked at as window dressing and, and in some cases were right. Um, also, maybe putting hand sanitizer above a carpeted floor uh, when it's flammable is not, not a good idea. Or putting, putting a kiosk in a hallway that's an egress path and would make it difficult for people to get out quickly. Uh, those things would all be things that we went, gosh, we learned lessons the hard way as we, we scrambled to learn what to do. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, a lot of these challenges are ones that you know, most of these leadership teams had never had to deal with before. So, you know, I I like to take all those challenges with a grain of salt because I think there was there was very little um, proactiveness that uh, a lot of administrators could take to prepare for these kinds of challenges. So to your point, yeah, a lot of learning in the moment, a lot of trial and error. Uh, but I think this has given educators a great starting point to now be more intentional with some of these technologies and processes that do work and provide value even outside of the needs of a global pandemic. So I'm curious also what you see as uh, the key areas that uh, schools and uh, school systems need to be addressing as they prepare to launch in the fall. Are there any uh, specific um, you know, uh, I guess areas of focus that you think administrators and facility managers need to, um, need to hone in on specifically uh, to really guide an informed uh, strategy for security as we enter fall 2021. Yes, and you you uttered the key word, which is proactive. And over the summer, and I know we're having summer school and maybe even larger groups than we've ever had in the past, but now is the time to optimize systems. Um, and, and some were able to do that during the pandemic. Others were so busy, they never got to make sure that our public address system had comprehensive coverage. They never really were able to make sure that the video surveillance system was optimized. Or, or I mean, let's be as simple as vegetation trimmed outside so that we could have good natural lines of sight and natural surveillance or exterior lighting being being optimized. All of those things we get an opportunity to do right now. Um, and, and in addition to that, um, I often will, uh, will ask a poll question when I'm doing webinars that says this, um, when is the last time you updated your emergency plans? Uh, a, um, within the last six months, B, within the last year, C, it's been a few years, or D, I'm embarrassed to answer. And what's so interesting, Daniel, is I have found a, a significant percentage, not, not the majority, of course, but a significant percentage that have said, I'm, I'm embarrassed to answer. Well, if, if we weren't taught collaboration lessons during the pandemic, 
we had better learn them now because we're going to have, uh, as you mentioned, we're going to have, a, a, in many cases, a full return to school. And we better have community responders, stakeholders, uh, everybody uh, singing from the same sheet of music because uh, we're going to need that, that collaboration and cooperation when we encounter effects, pe people that have been affected by social restrictions, isolation, etc. So we have some measures that were implemented that we see long-term value for and immediately worked. We see others that were very trial and error and maybe don't have a lot of long-term utility. And then we see some that were, you know, given a run and we've decided probably they don't have any value in the ecosystem in the long term. So in that, um, I guess, constantly evolving ecosystem, where do you see the most pressing gaps? Areas where um, processes or technologies still aren't launched, you know, to their greatest degree or greatest effect that you think need to also be addressed? Yeah, that's a great question. I want to answer it by first saying this. Uh, during the pandemic, students found their voices more than ever. Uh, and, and I want you to think about whether it was last summer's BLM protests, uh, many of which were student led or uh, the Zoom bombing that happened at the beginning of the pandemic or uh, teachers who, who really never even got a full grip on the use of technology while students watched. <laughs> um, I, I think students went, wow, um, adults may not have been as, uh, as, what's the right word, as prepared and adept as they should have been. And those same students are coming back now with a, a new confidence. And, and, and let's face it, uh, students are ahead of adults in technology. And so they already knew they had the advantage there, but it became that much more evident as, as we as adults stumbled. So I, I think one of those things that we're going to have to be really, really much better at is including students in how to furnish a safe learning environment. We should hear what they what, what their thoughts are, what their concerns are, and, and we should be then um, making adjustments based on, on things that they have to say. And, and by the way, I'm not saying give them the wheel and let them steer, but the whole purpose of education is to prepare for the next level, to prepare for vocations and to pre prepare for life. This is the time to, uh, to, to make sure that students have a voice and, and we're taking heed. I think and, and in some ways, let them lead the way. So I think that's one thing. And then if we're going to go back to systems, I would say there was such an emphasis on health. We said, well, we've got to upgrade ventilation systems. We've we've got to have sanitizer. We've we've got to have touchless this and contactless that that maybe we forgot some of the nuts and bolts of physical security. And, and, and I, I wanna, <laughs> I've been qualifying all this time and I'm gonna qualify this one as well. I don't think that cameras and metal detectors and now uh, some are putting in gunshot detection systems, I don't think those are gonna save the world. Really the value of all of those things, Daniel, rests precariously on a foundation of policies and the people who then utilize those systems. But, but I think now is the time to say, what do we have? An assessment, a security assessment 
from uh, local law enforcement or an independent consultant uh, would be a really great idea so we know what we have going into the fall and how to make sure that we are filling the gaps and using using what we do have um, as effectively as possible. So I'm making some notes for myself here to follow up because you said some real golden nuggets there that I, I definitely want to ask you on here. But I, uh, I, I want to start first with your commentary on how students uh, have evolved over the last year. And, I, you know, I, I think you're, you're right. I have a sister myself. She is 17. She's about to be a senior in high school and was on the phone with her last night. And she was so centered in a lot of emotional aspects of how she views the world in ways that I did not hear her talking about the world or herself in the last year. And, you know, I think part of that is natural maturity, but I do think a big part of that is feeling like, okay, all of a sudden, if I want to have the schooling experience that I imagine I deserve or want to have, uh, and the resources are there for me to take advantage of, I can grab the steering wheel a bit. You know, I can I can go zero to 60 and kind of steer however I want, uh, especially if no one else is going to do it for me or the resources aren't there to help or the infrastructure isn't prepared, right? So again, I think a lot of autonomy there was encouraged. Uh, and I think online learning and hybridized learning also pushes in that direction as well. So all in all, uh, I'm also curious what your perspective is on how that has materially left and also, um, I guess, social emotionally left students in today's reality. What has tangibly changed, in your opinion, about uh, the pre-pandemic student to the post-pandemic student and how they interface with their education and also how that intersects with how they process safety measures as well? Right. And first of all, kudos to your sister. And I'm glad that uh, she is being uh, that she's being assertive. And and I I applaud that. So um, so that's the first thing. But second of all, I want to say this. We don't know for sure all of what this long term what what the long term effects will be for the isolation and and restrictions that we faced. We do have some data from uh, previous generations where things similarly happened, but it was it was a whole different apps and technology kind of of group of people. Um, And those studies show that the long term effects are not good. So I, I think what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we have social workers, mental health experts, um, those whose who's really center of the bullseye is social, emotional, um, at the forefront. And well, we should. And by the way, um, because school resource officers have gotten a really bad rap over this whole pandemic, many of them hold a significant place in contributing to the the uh, mental health well-being of students. They they, they will uh, kind of be buddies um, and and examples. So I, I, I don't I, I think we want to be careful and not throwing babies out with bathwater with all of these different things. All of these have and, and this is a bigger thing, Daniel, uh, that I think is overarching for, for everything. People um, are on edge and they've taken sides uh, politically and they have gotten angry. A friend of mine was at a uh, baseball game the other day, and it was the Chicago White Sox versus the St. Louis Cardinals, which is no rivalry at all. If it had been the Cubs Cardinals, that would have been a big rivalry. But um, he said it was the first game that he had attended, and it was just a week or two ago. 
he said he couldn't believe how many fights there were in the stands. And, you know, when you've had people who haven't been around other people and then you throw in alcohol, um, you, you have the recipe, even when it's not sort of a Yankees Red Sox kind of rivalry, you've got the recipe for for people acting up. And I have a concern about that. I don't think we're going to see the sky falling. I'm, please, I'm not saying that, but I am saying and it's not just students, it's adults as well. I'm saying we better have those kinds of services and resources ready to go. Uh, and we and, and I remind teachers of this all the time. Teachers became teachers because they like kids. I know there's exceptions to that, but for the most part, uh, they, they didn't choose the profession because they wanted to get rich. They, they liked kids. And this is the time to demonstrate that. This is the time for administrators to demonstrate that, for parents, for all stakeholders to demonstrate that, that we can leave behind or at least be civil in our discourse because we're for one another. We're all headed in the same direction. I, I think that's going to be very, very important. Yeah, and I think that ties into everyone needing a little social emotional guidance as well i think uh yeah you know with the the punches being thrown on airplanes and everything too people just have a lot of pent-up energy and i think in a lot of ways don't know where to put it so yeah hopefully with some focused strategies and leadership around that in a school setting any of that kind of tension whether that's student to student student to teacher teacher to teacher teacher to administrator, uh, you know, hopefully that can be resolved a little bit. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll get into social emotional here in a sec. But uh, this dynamic that you're breaking down, all this um, sort of latent tension as well as uncertainty around which uh, strategies, uh, you know, for health and wellness we should continue to implement and not implement, how is this shaping facility management strategies and conversations in general? Like uh, when we land at this reality of where our students and our educators are at, both uh, you know, financially, emotionally, socially. Uh, how does that end up intersecting with how people are processing facility management decisions and decision-making? Well, everybody has been inundated, Daniel, in terms of facility management with vendors uh, who have the, you know, the panacea. And uh, so that uh, if, if I could talk with all facility managers right now, I would say you have to have some opportunity to take a break and catch your breath and you want to do that. Obviously, there's got to be me time for people. They've got to they've got to be able to to uh, do some self-help. But I think that can be done collaboratively as well. We've had to respond to so many things. We're used to running the meetings and learning information there and having to make decisions. And, you know, continuity of operations is now something that everybody is familiar with. Before the pandemic, continuity of operations, I would say that term and they didn't even know what it meant. But now we're, we're just trying to make it all work. This is an opportunity with a couple months before we hit reopening in the fall to say, let's be strategic in what we're doing. Let's be thoughtful and let's go back to some opportunities to plan that will help us feel normal. That will help us feel like we have some control. And I think all of that will pay off in the long run. All right. We're getting close to the end of our broadcast. Here, so let's go ahead and intersect uh, some more specific technology conversation here before we start to wrap. Uh, so, Paul, what do you see as 
the most useful new security technologies that should be strategized around and should be part of long-term security plans and you know break down some of the ways that educators have um, you know been challenged by trying to implement those technologies and what strategies you would offer to make that uh, unintentional and proactive investment. Right. I think one of them is in visitor management. And again, I know we have uh, a podcast here sponsored by Raptor Tech, but I, what I really love is is their touchless reader. And, and so I, it used to be that I would come in as a visitor and I would hand you my ID. If you were the administrative assistant, you would run it through a horizontal scanner, which checked databases for registered sex offenders, et cetera. Now I have the opportunity as a visitor to put that ID in myself in a vertical, sort of a toaster kind of thing. I'm not handing it to anybody. Nobody is, is returning. I, I can do that myself, maybe even at a kiosk. Um, and that accountability, capturing things electronically, knowing where that person is going, being able to find that they've been authorized to be in the building, escorting them to where they need to go. All of these elements of access control, Daniel, will really make schools safer. And again, I, I, visitor management is just one of it. As, as I talked about earlier, electronic access control is so important. All, all of these items that help determine by design where I'm going to be will make it easier for me as a visitor and much safer for everybody else in the building as well. And then are there any uh, specific strategies you have for how administrators should budget making investments around these kinds of new technologies? Are there any red flags or any metrics that you would really emphasize for this makes or breaks a quality investment and you know, how to strategize financially around those? Sure. One of the things is, first of all, there's an abundance of money right now. And I know that there's qualifications to that because not everyone's going to get the same amount, but there's ESSER funding, there's FEMA funding. And I know I'm throwing out acronyms here, but the schools know what I mean. There is SVPP funding, um, which is a federal grant. All of these, we, we need to use wisdom and discernment in how we're going to spend the money. And that's why I go back to having some kind of a, assistance with an assessment helps point us in the right direction. Otherwise, we could get into a mentality of let's throw things at the wall and see what sticks. And that never is a beneficial way to go. So I, I think you want to be careful. You, you want to be thoughtful and you want to get help. So there's accountability in making those decisions. All right, Paul, last but not least, as we wrap up our conversation, I've been kind of teasing it a bunch that we're going to talk about it, but I want to intersect the social emotional piece here. Um, obviously, SEL has been a big point of conversation for the last several years in the public education space, at the very least, uh, as a priority or one that we should be experimenting around, finding innovative ways to promote SEL in broader curriculum. So when we also look at strategies around facility management, uh, or investments in security measures and the way that impacts day-to-day -day for students. How do you see the social-emotional well-being of students factor into some of these security decisions and or get uh, impacted by security decisions? What do you see as the, um, the connected dots there? Two things. First of all, education is very important. We can't just, in, in, in the years gone by, we would wait until the staff left for the summer. We would install some new technology. When they came back, we would say, now get with the program. Nope. We've got to be much more intentional about educating why we have these systems how they work 
and how to make sure that they're they're performing as effectively as possible. And, and that is all through training and education. And, and everybody is able to make a personal investment when they have knowledge. So, so that's one thing. And I think the second thing is um, we didn't used to reach across the aisle, like from physical security people to to our social workers and say, let's work together on a threat assessment team or let's talk about how this would impact the students. Well, those days are long gone. We've got to build bridges everywhere and be in regular communication. And when we do that, Daniel, everybody, everybody wins. I think that's the name of the game. And like I normally say on uh, broader just education interviews and conversations I have, centering the student at all of these decisions. And if there's ever, um, you know, I guess, uncertainty about the effectiveness or the um, utility of investments in broader technologies, you know, always centering yourself and re-asking, how is this going to impact the student and is this to the student's benefit? If so, how and how can we measure that? That kind of just centered perspective, I think, can really help guide a lot of these difficult decisions. So to that point, love it, love it. To that point, Paul, I think that does it for our conversation today. So thank you so much for the conversation today. It's been really insightful. We've we've touched on a lot and I really appreciate uh, you guiding us through some of today's challenges around school safety and how that's manifesting into some actionable decisions and strategies for everyone, educators, students, and administrators. So again, thank you to Paul Tim, Vice President of Facility Engineering Associates, part of the School Crisis Assistance Team with National Organization of Victims Assistance, and again, one of the most influential people in security in 2020 by Security Magazine. Paul Tim, thanks again for your time. And if folks want to find out more uh, about some of the work that you're doing, how can they learn more? How can they get in touch? Well, thank you uh, for for the podcast. And it's um, paul.tim, T-I-M-M, paul.tim at feapc.com. And of course, that is our website as well, feapc.com. Uh, I'd be glad to connect or on Twitter. Uh, my handle is school security. Perfect. Paul, Tim, thank you so much for joining us here at Raptor Tech today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you everyone for watching another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. If you like what you saw, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and headed to our website, raptortech.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of School Safety Today.